the privilege of focusing on the resurrection. And it's, it's fun always to have special days in the church calendar because uh, there's a million, not quite, several dozen things I'd like to preach on any given moment. You just say, what do you want to preach? And it's like, because and then I've got to make a decision because there's so much stuff that the Lord has made alive in my heart. And it's, I, I never will get it all preached. But when we have a special day, I don't have to make that decision. I get, I get to do what the, the calendar is calling for. And the calendar is saying in its relationship to the Passover, that this is when Jesus rose. This is it. Hallelujah. One of the most interesting passages about this in Scripture is in Matthew 27. It says, this is talking about the moment Jesus died, when he, his body just finally expired. The crucifixion suffocates you because you can't hold yourself up when you're, they actually put his, his uh, feet together, probably one kind of like this and one nail through his heels. They have found a, a skeleton of a heel bone in the Jerusalem area with a spike through it. So that we know for sure that's the way they did it at least part of the time. They may not have done it every time, but we know they did it that one time. And that, is, that assumes then, so, so the crucifix is hanging there and he's, he's suspended like this. They put the nails right up here in the top of the hand because there are some cross tendons that will support your weight. If they put it here, it would just rip out through these tendons, which are not strong enough to support your weight. So, so here in the top of the hand, by the way, that's where they made the incision when they were going to make the covenant. If any of you have studied the blood covenant in ancient cultures, that's where they, that's where they made those incisions was right there. So it's all, it all fits together. I mean, it's a thousand things come together in the person of Jesus and in the cross and in the resurrection. So here he is hanging, nailed here. And uh, when you hang this way a while, it paralyzes your uh, diaphragm and you, you can't exhale. You can't get the carbon dioxide out of your lungs. And so you start to suffocate. Well, when you do that, then you struggle back up on your legs to, so to be able to breathe and get some life into that diaphragm. And when that happens, you know, you stay up there as long as you can, but your legs are bent and your body is absolutely shot anyway, because most often they whipped these, these crucifixes like they did Jesus before they nailed them up there. And so he was, he was in such bad shape that he, he only lasted six hours on the cross. And that, I know that sounds cruel to say it that way, perhaps, but, but sometimes they could last as long as 24 hours. That's the reason they went and broke the legs of the other guys, because the Jews did not want them up hanging on the special Sabbath, which was the Passover, the main day of the Passover. They, they started the Passover the night before, but the main day of the Passover and when the the main Passover lamb was slaughtered was the very hour that Jesus expired. And so the Jews asked the Romans to go and break the legs. So these guys could not stand back up. So they were just hanging there. And after some minutes, they would expire. Now, I know that sounds gross, and it was it, much worse than I have described it. 
But that's what he did. Did you see the little cartoon by the writer of BC and and uh, one of the one of the little prehistoric guys is saying, uh, "I hate the name Good Friday." And his friend says, "Why?" He says, "My Lord was hung on a tree on that Friday." And the next the next little picture is, "Do you, if you were supposed to be hung on that tree?" And your master, your Lord, volunteered to take your place. How would you feel? And he said, good. And the next is, is his friend walking away saying, have a nice day. Because it is a good Friday. It wasn't good for Jesus, but boy, is it good for us. And it is just amazing. At that moment, the moment Jesus died, which all over the city of Jerusalem, the knives flashed and cut the throats of that Passover lamb. On that day, on that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, rocks split, tombs broke open, bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. That's a really strange passage. Uh, someone who made a study of... Uh, the Jewish teaching of that time said one of the reasons that the Jews did not en masse accept Jesus as Messiah was when he came, there was supposed to be all this resurrection of the dead. And interestingly, there was this token, there was this down payment. It, like I said, there's a thousand things that fit together here. And um, so these, these people rose from the dead but the thing I want you to know about is this curtain in the temple being split top down, wide open. What's the deal with this curtain? What's the deal with the veil? The veil comes from an effect that started back when God created the world. He created man and he put creation under man, made him in charge, and he uh, then fellowshiped with man. And we don't know how long, some scholars have guessed maybe a hundred years passed with the Father coming and hanging out daily with his creation. But that came to an end because. Uh, selfishness entered in, it's always a, a possibility to put sin in the selfishness, un, uh, unselfishness model. And sin is the expression of about me and my stuff, my way, my glory, my whatever. That's, a, I, that's not my favorite model, but that may be the original model because this was about uh, sin and they wanted to be like God. It's not enough to just be with God. They wanted, they had to be like God. And they didn't have what it takes to be like God. So that was a tragic thing. So at that moment, redemption was declared. God had created these people to be with him and for him to enjoy them. If it's going to be a free and loving and joyous association, they have to have free will, thus sin. 
God did not create sin. Satan created sin, and we became his willing partners. So God said, I'll get them back in his mind. And he started the process. It began to take shape as far as visibility is concerned when a guy by the name of Abram showed up on the earth, and God spoke to him, and this guy believed God. That's, that's one of the wild stories. God somehow spoke to him. We don't know how. And said, I, I want you to go into this land. I'm going to show you later. He didn't, he'd never been there. He'd probably talked to people who had been there. He said, I'm going to give it to you, only it's not going to be to you Actually, it's going to be to your aunt, your ancestor, your descendants are going to get this, and I want you to go. And Abraham, Abram at that time, believed God and, and followed God. God began then to give him more of himself. He began to speak more about who he was and what was going on. And Abram then got the name Abraham. That was when they cut the covenant, by the way. And one of the things that happens when you make a blood covenant is that you can take part of the other's name. The, the dominant letter in Hebrew in uh, Jehovah, the covenant-keeping name of God, is H in Hebrew. And so that was added to Abram, and we get Abraham. And God then became known as the God of Abraham. So he got Abraham's name, and, and Abraham got part of his name. Uh, there's, oh, is there stuff in here or what? Anyway, so it just gives me goosebumps how God has gone to all this trouble and covered all these bases to get us. He wants you. He wants fellowship with you. This veil then shows up as God continues to develop this people out of whom he's going to get a man. He's going to get a redeemer out of this uh, bunch, this nation, well, they end up in Egypt. You know the story. They, they were then enslaved, and God came and delivered them through mighty acts of power, and out of Egypt they came and went out into the wilderness, and God then began to show himself more and more and more, and through Moses, this incredible man that be also believed God. Through Moses, God began to show himself, and he was this way, this way, this way, and this way. And to keep this, to keep this people secure and together and protect them from the stuff that would destroy them, he gave them the Ten Commandments, and it became known as the covenant of the Ten Commandments or the Mosaic Law. So another covenant was cut, which, by the way, did not set aside the, the Abrahamic, as it's called, covenant. But we get this covenant now, and in the giving of this, God says, I'm going to have you build me a place where I will have a representation of my presence. And so they built this tent. Those of you who grew up with the, with the King James Version know about the tabernacle. They built this tent tabernacle, this tent, and it had this courtyard that was enclosed, and then it had a, a separate tent inside this courtyard 
that was divided into two, uh, one-third here, two-thirds here. And this division was with this curtain, the first, the first edition of this curtain. Now, this curtain was in a magnificent uh, marble front uh, structure, and this, the first tent was a tent, and it was, but it was beautiful. And we read about that. Um, veil number one shows up here. It's in his Exodus 26. I'm going to talk to you about three veils, by the way. And Exodus 26 says, make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, finely twisted linen with cherubim worked into it uh, by a skilled craftsman. Hang it with gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases. Hang the curtain from the clasps and place the ark of the testimony behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place. It is believed that this cloud, those of you who have read the book of Exodus and uh, other books in the Pentateuch know that uh, there was a cloud spoken of often. And it's believed that this took the, the shape of a funnel in the day and it came down through this curtain and, and the point of the funnel focused between the cherubim that are mentioned, not these cherubim here, those were embroidered, but uh, the gold cherubim on the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant. So that this was the representation of the presence of God. This was a focal point. And this curtain was to keep people from wandering in there because we cannot stand the pure presence of God unless it is somehow stepped down. God can, can give people special grace to be able to withstand his presence because he did that for Moses. But many times uh, through the scripture, when the glory of God is, is manifest, people just hit, hit the ground. And uh, Jesus showed a little bit of, of his glory from time to time uh, when he was arrested that night uh, in the garden, the night before he died, they, they said, uh, who are you? he said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am he. I am is the name of God. And when he said that, they blew backwards on their can. That's a theological term. It, it knocked them down. The power of God. And so, uh, when God was giving all of his laws and all of this covenant through Moses, he instructed Moses to build a fence around this mountain so that neither man nor beast would wander up there lest they die. So this curtain was... It, it, it served to keep us out of the presence of God. It also protected us. But after a while, the, uh, you know, the prohibition and the, the, the barrier, that's the word, the barrier became tough to deal with. And everybody knew you had to do that. And nobody could go wandering in there. And uh, tradition says that when the priest would go in there once a year, once a year, They'd tie a rope around him and leave it out where, in case he got into trouble in there, 
they could get him out without dying themselves. And that's kind of the picture. You see that? Well, this veil, when Jesus died, was torn wide open. Now, the obvious meaning is that the presence of God is now worldwide, everywhere present. God could not be anything but that. He's always been what we learn in seminary as omnipresent, everywhere present, all present. But we had this picture, and it had its roots in God's program, and so it was not inappropriate. And this veil was ripped from top to bottom. It was not from bottom to top. It it was uh, 30 feet high. And if we had been tearing it, we would have gotten a hold of it at the bottom because it's real hard for guys our size to take hold of the top of a 30-foot curtain. But God's hand came down and went... And there it was. Now, the guys in the temple hurried around and got it all repaired and replaced. But the veil was already torn. And the presence of God was now announced to be available. Announced for the public. This is for public viewing now. This is for the common man. This is democratic. This is for the people. Okay? Another covenant, another veil. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that's, see, this is written to Hebrews, this book, and so they knew what the most holy place means. It was that place where the focus of God's presence was. And you couldn't go in there. But he says, the writer says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus that was spilled on that cross. There's a song that has this line in it. Just one drop is all it takes to set the nations free. Man, oh man, I believe it. The blood of Jesus opens the door, and we go in. They, they hurried around and sewed that curtain back up, but it was too late. We are now brought in because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and you can, anywhere in the world, anytime, be dead center in the presence of God Almighty. But there is a next verse here that says, We have this confidence by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. I remember when I discovered that. I don't remember learning that in Bible school. I don't remember them getting that through my thick skull in class. But when I saw that one time when I was reading through Hebrews, it's like, oh, my goodness, the tearing in his body. That which he paid for. Not just the awfulness of crucifixion, but even after his, after his life had gone out of his body, they tore the curtain. And this Roman soldier who was, who was a skilled killer, he knew about this, he knew how to do it, didn't make mistakes, and 
they broke the legs of the, the guys that were crucified on each side of Jesus. And when they came to Jesus, he was lifeless. And so this guy just took his spear and he, he went right in from, from a little bit below him. He went right in under the little bit to the left side of the rib cage, right up through there into the pericardium, the heart sac, and punctured that and the heart and the veil was torn. The veil was opened and the life of God spilled out for us. And we who were far off and so blinded, so blockheaded, have been brought very, very close by the blood of Jesus Christ. Folks, that is absolutely amazing to me. The third veil is mentioned in Matthew 28. There was a violent earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven. And going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now, you didn't read the word veil there. <laughs> but I just want you to realize that this tomb, is, it's, it's, it's really dark yet. It's not daylight yet. And the power of God took that lifeless form of Jesus and regenerated him, making his body better than it had been with capabilities it had not had before. He's still human to this day. He remains in his humanity. But this humanity is a step up from what we have and our experience today. And that veil was rolled away, if you will. And the glory of God that was already in that cave shone out. And you can see it beginning to break through. The veil has been torn. And dear one, Jesus paid the penalty for your deaths so that you don't have to die for your sin. You can pay for your sin. And when you do, you're dead. But when he paid for our sin, he didn't have any sin of his own to take him out. So he paid for it. And then the life of God in a way that we don't fully understand yet. Lifted him up, made him alive. And he came out of that grave. He didn't have to have the stone rolled away to get out. I, I don't know whether he waited for the stone to roll away before he came out or not. We've wondered about that. Uh, maybe the stone was rolled away just so we could see it's empty. There's no one here. But if there is no one here because he who was separated from us by that veil is alive and well and loose in the earth. And he is seeking and saving the lost. He is looking to preach the gospel to the poor. He is looking for those with broken hearts so that he might bind them up. The veil is torn. 